Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell. The first African-American settlers came to Orange County, Indiana before 1820, led by Jonathan Lindley. Eleven families traveled with a group of sympathetic Quakers in search of a new land which forbade slavery. Jonathan Lindley settled in Orange County in 1811, five years before the county was established and Indiana became a state. These settlers were free citizens who fled racial persecution and increasingly restrictive laws for free Blacks in their previous home in North Carolina. Traveling with the Quakers offered some protection on their journey and the promise of supportive neighbors upon their arrival. According to the census records, there were 96 Blacks living in Orange County in 1820. As more Blacks came into the area, they purchased land from the United States of America, patented it in what we call the Lick Creek African American Settlement Area. Other names that the area has been called include Little Africa, South Africa, and or Patty's Garden. The first African Americans to purchase land in Lick Creek area were Benjamin Roberts, Peter Lindley, Elias, Eliza, Elias Roberts, all in 1832. By 1855, the settlement reached its maximal size of 1,557 acres. Here to shed more light upon the Lick Creek Settlement, African-American Settlement, is Diana Daniels. Diana, welcome to Bring It On, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the Lick Creek Settlement. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Boone and Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. I am a Excited to be a part of this historic conversation, and hopefully the information I'll be able to share regarding my ancestors will be uh, enlightening and will also help others to do the same type of research that is needed, especially in the Indiana settlements that took place during this period of time. Tell us... Uh... We started a conversation. You're telling us about your family traveling from the Carolinas to here. Could you tell us why they left the Carolinas? And if you know anything about their travels uh, across uh, the different states to get here to Indiana? Certainly. <clears throat> uh, our, my ancestors came to, to this, to the, um, I guess you would say, to the U.S. in about 1690. They were not. Uh, considered slaves, they were indentured servants. Then as the laws changed, these people began to re uh, realize that they needed people that could be that could be workers without being paid. Slavery laws became more prevalent and in North Carolina, those that were free were having a difficult time maintaining that status. 
even though one of my great, my sixth great grandfather fought in the Revolutionary War at Valley Forge, uh, Ishmael Roberts, and uh, owned over 2,300 2, acres of land. He was not a farmer. He was basically uh, a land uh, developer. He bought land and traded. His sons are the ones who came to Indiana. Elias Roberts came in around 1820s with his wife, Nancy. And then there was others that followed. There were Bonds, there was a Bonds family was already here. And that was Reuben Bonds. But they all lived in the Lick Creek area. Traveling from North Carolina to Indiana was probably not a safe journey because you were going through hostile slavery areas. You were going through Kentucky, parts of Tennessee, and then on that Buffalo Trail, which takes you right into Paoli area, the Orange County area. Uh, when they came, the first thing that Elias did was buy land. He bought 640 acres of land in the Lick Creek area. Uh, my other grandparents were also already here, and that was the Matthew Thomas's family. And Matthew Thomas and his brother Jordan had been uh, uh, indentured to white farmers here in, in the state in about 1808. Their mother and father, uh, their father was died on the trail here, and Lucy brought them under, with the help of Quakers, uh, on that trail to Indiana. When she got here, her husband had already passed away and she had to cut down trees, build a house and do all those type of things in this forest land. So she uh, indentured both of her boys, all three of them, as a matter of fact. Matthew was one of my grandfathers and he was indentured to a Jonathan Lindley family. And he stayed with them for Oh, he was eight or nine when he was uh, indentured. He stayed till he was 21. And upon that, he was able, he was released and he was given 40 acres. He was given clothing. He was given a mule. With that, he became one of the largest landowners in Lick Creek. He owned three different plots of, of land. He was able to multiply that. And he had, uh, I think it was about nine children. His brother did the very same thing, Jonathan. Uh, the one died, that was William uh, Matthew. He did not live long. But uh, they both married the daughters of Elias Roberts. So that made a tie between the Roberts family and the Matthews family. And one of their daughters married Monroe Bond. And that's how the Bonds has come in. Mm. So... The name is really was B-O-N-D, but as there was so many of them, I think they told me the, the story was as they went to school, they would just say, well, here come those Bonses. So they start putting the mm -hmm. S on the end of their name as well. But uh, when they came to Indiana, they had the sanction and the support of the Quaker families. But as more black families came, they began to form unions. They also built the AME church. They built a meeting room. Um, they had, a, it was called a meeting house. Later on in 1840, 43, I believe that became the AME church. And the first pastor was a Reverend Rebels. 
Reverend uh, Revel's brother was the very first black senator yes. in the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. So Our, all of these families were all connected. You got the Roberts family, whose Ishmael was very well off in North Carolina. His son Elias came, and Ishmael's grandchildren came. And you'll find in the uh, Lick Creek Cemetery, you'll find Ishmael. Um, but it's not the he's not my he's not the one that stayed in North Carolina. He's uh, one of other grandchildren. You'll also find Civil War veterans that fought in the Civil War. So that cemetery is very precious. You have roughly the very beginnings of families. You have a rich history of what they were able to accomplish as landowners. They were able to establish, oh, just a variety, their first school. The Roberts household was the school. And they have done lots of digs there and found uh, uh, pencils and letter uh, things. They also, based on the, the type of dishes that they found, they were not poor. They were pretty well off because they had nice china and so forth. Uh, I think they, they lived in Lick Creek and it, and it prospered up until a certain point, up until the Copperheads and the KKK became more prevalent. And they, uh, in one of the stories, <clears throat> and it's not a story, it's true, the Darby family uh, and the Scott family and a few others just one night packed up and left Lick Creek and went to Canada, to Buxton, Canada, and started their own settlement there with the support of some Quakers. And I've had a chance of talking with one of the great, great granddaughters of uh, of the uh, newbie family. Darby is Darcy is her name. And we had the great conversation. She knew all of her history about how they came out of Lick Creek. They went to Buxton and they began to build houses. They bought land. So in both situations, these people had a sense of liberation. They knew who they were, but they also knew what they had to do in order to maintain a positive uh, um, existence, not only at, at Lick Creek, but also in Canada. They have a church there. They have a museum they have built with the freedom papers of their, of their great-grand-great-grandfather. So it was good being able to connect with that, with that family. These are both pioneer families that came from North Carolina. One family stayed, the Thomases and the Roberts and the Bond family stayed. The other families moved on due to the hostilities that erupted in Lake Creek around, around the Civil War. I would say around 18, 1862, 63. Uh, that's a very brief, brief overview of how I'm trying to answer your question. That was a very <laughs> brief overview, very brief overview. Well, well, but I well, can was, go that, into more details if you like. No, well, well, actually, yes, we, we would like to dive a little deeper, but um, that initial response really sets the tone for us because uh, just just a couple quick questions, and as you continue on, um, one I'd like to know is, are there a, 
remaining structures that were built? If so, I mean, original structures, are they still standing? And um, just listening to... There are pieces of structures, yes. There, I and, understand and just, there's mm -hmm. pieces of structures there, right. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning as you're talking that Quakers were invaluable to assisting Blacks to relocate, especially in Indiana. And uh, it just seems as if that particular faith-based community um, really, in a sense, practiced what they preach. And that was helping their fellow man, regardless of their ethnicity or whatever plight that they were going through. And were Blacks able to become Quakers? Or no, that... I don't, I, I haven't read that. Uh, in the research okay. I've done, I have not read that. What I have read is that Blacks became AMEs because okay. at that period of time in our history, the AME church was a church that was a church for our uh, of freedom, liberation, rights. And so that's what I've read. Now, there's evidence of the AME church that is still standing. There's some rocks and there's a big sign saying the AME church. The cemetery was right beside the church. And the amount of land that they owned, they were able to build. Uh, I, I, the history on that is that uh, one of the Roberts sold an acre of land to uh, the, the trustees of the AME Church to build it. And that was in 18, 1843, I believe. So I don't know of, of any Blacks that actually uh, practice uh, the Quaker uh, beliefs, although there are several of the family members buried in Newberry Cemetery, and you may know where that is, and uh, it's down in, near Paoli. Uh, when I went to Lick Creek in, nine, in, eight, in 2022, I was amazed. It was the most emotional experience I've ever had in my life. And I've been to Africa eight or 10 times. But it was nothing like walking into that graveyard and seeing these names of people I had read about. And the headstones were still standing, very nice headstones. And it was such an emotional thing because I had with me my grandson and I took him to each of the grave sites and told him, this is your sixth great grandfather. This is your fourth great grandfather. And here is all the names. This is, would be one of your cousins. So I was trying to give my family some sense of who they are, where they came from, because you got to know where you come from in order to move forward. Otherwise you make mistakes. So right. that was our first visit. Now we're going down to Liquid again, June the 18th for a family uh, reunion. We have one every year in Mitchell, Indiana. Been doing this now for 67 years. And this time we're taking, we're going to uh, Lick Creek with the support <clears throat> of the Hoosier National Forestry. They will meet us there and take and let about 40 of us going. So we'll have a chance to take the other kids and young adults to that uh, cemetery. We are hoping to work with the National Forestry and with Orange County in order to begin to preserve and to restore that cemetery to some sense of glory. Right now, it's, it's, it's full of bushes, it's full of trees, 
you have to almost hunt for the, those uh, uh, headstones. So hopefully they'll be willing to work with us. The family is uh, prepared to do whatever is necessary to honor those ancestors that have been in, in that buried there for over 200 years. So that's kind of the, one of the main things that we are hopefully hoping is going to, uh, to happen. Um, we have several family books we have written on the Bonds family and on the uh, pioneers, uh, the black pioneers in Orange County. A cousin of mine, Donna Ruth Griffin, wrote that book back in 2014. And it's basically about the Bond family and how and, and their beginnings in uh, Lake Creek. We also had uh, a book that was written by William uh, Diekmers. And we hired him. He was a historian from Illinois. We hired him and he wrote the book, Traveling Back to Our Roots, The Bonds Family History. So that book we also have. Uh, I'm also receiving all kinds of information from other people uh, about the Bond family. And we're going to share that on June uh, the 18th. Normally when we go to Mitchell, and the last big one we had was in 18, it was 19, no, it was 2021. I'm thinking my, my head must have hit those bricks. <laughs> I, I keep getting these dates all confused. But in uh, 2021, we had 125 people to come to Spring Mill State Park. We go to, to uh, the Mitchell Cemetery, where there are five generations of people that are, are buried. Then with those five generations, we once we get those graves all decorated, we then head to uh, to Spring Mill State Park, um, and that's where we have the actual family gathering. Okay, so that's kind of uh, where everything is. We um, let's see what else. What else do you want to know? Well, thank you so much for that. Do you need to do an ID? I, I do, and. Um... If, if you've just tuned in to bring it on, we're having a conversation this evening with uh, Diana Daniels, who is um, a descendant of the one of the first African-American settlements in the Orange County area, Lick Creek African-American Settlement, as she is here sharing uh, an enriching history and uh, talking about uh, just the origins and um, the future. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get to talk at length about what the future holds. I know that there's some preservation that's underway in the uh, cemetery, but um, if you've just joined us, we're in the midst of a very intriguing conversation. So stay tuned and I'll turn it back over to Liz. Okay. Uh, Just for our listening audience to know, the state of Indiana has 92 counties. In all but four were Black settlements, early Black settlements, and this predates the Civil War. So Black people have been in Indiana for a very long time under duress because Indiana really didn't want anyone of color to stay here. It was okay to pass through, but they were not wanted here. So to me, it warms my heart to hear the stories of those families that came. They weren't allowed to vote. They had to post a bond sometimes of $500. They had to get the consent of a white man to say, yes, uh, they're good people. All of that just to try 
to live a decent life here in Indiana. So with talking to Diana, Diana, I'm impressed that you know so much about your family. One of the things that you've just said is how important it is to know your history, to know your past, because you can move forward confidently with your head held high, knowing how your family persevered and were resilient in the midst of so much hatred. Uh, I like the fact that uh, Thomas, Matthew Thomas, your ancestor, he got his 40 acres and a mule. I'm jealous. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I think most of them did that were uh, indentured. His brother Jordan also received it. Um, I, I think that was something that we, we need. But we don't know if it really ever really happened. Here we got records that show that this really happened and how he used his knowledge and expertise. And um, it's just some uh, amazing things you can find online, uh, Ancestry.com, Find a Grave. All of these are resources that you can go to to begin to hunt and begin to trace your own family ancestry. I was saying that uh, you mentioned the rebels was a minister at the AME church there in Lick Creek. And there is a descendants of Hiram Revels, the first senator right. here in Bloomington. And I, yeah, I'm sure you know who that is, Cornelius. Uh, it's his uh, name. Was Cornelius Wright. Yes. Uh-huh. So that's very interesting. I wanted to talk to you about the Chandler family. I had been doing research uh, in West Baden, French Lick area. And the Chandler family came up that they had came across from North Carolina and settled into Lick Creek. And That's eventually they started the AME church in French Lick, which no longer yes. stands. So uh, you, you mentioned your family bonds. Roberts is part of your family. The Roberts right. and Nimley. The Roberts. Are, uh, well, my uh, grandmother my great yeah my great grandmother had 12 children another 12 children many of them married people from Paoli, the, the bowmans uh her oldest daughter irma married uh, a herschel bowman and his father was a stagecoach driver was the only black stagecoach driver that lived in the Paoli area mm-hmm. uh there was quite a few other families. The Chandler family and the Bonds family were very close, very close friends. As a matter of fact, growing up as a child, I remember Marvin uh, Chandler would always sing at family funerals or, or play or, or, or preach. So they, uh, I've known the Chandler family and, uh, and the, the Bowman family is where the Bowman's family uh, mother is a bond, the bonds. So yeah, there's. I think the families just it wasn't that many of them that didn't leave, and those that stayed kind of intermarried. So that's kind of what I am gathering. Uh, my aunt Helen, she married a, a Johnson, Floyd Johnson, who's from Bloomington. So there was quite a, a few of them that seemed to have married people that were either from Paoli, Bloomington, Muncie. Um, Rushville. So, there, yeah, there are quite a few families that are connected to the Bonds family. And are is there a connection by blood or 
intermarriage or whatever with all of the other settlements and how many settlements would your family be connected to? Cause there is the Robert settlement. We are connected to the Robert settlement. Um, and you know, they, these names keep repeating themselves. You keep seeing yeah. Ishmael, you keep seeing, uh, Elias. We keep seeing the same names in, uh, kitchen or, or Bowen. We keep seeing the same names in both settlements. So there is a connection between Lick Creek and to, in uh, Noblesville. Uh, there was a connection in Beach Settlement. Uh, I think it came through my grandmother. Uh, but I have not had a chance to do any deep research on it. Uh, I know that um, Lavella and I have talked about where are the connections between the Roberts family in Noblesville and Lick Creek. And we've, we've come to some conclusions that there is some connections. And I think I have done enough research in the last two weeks. Well, it's been the last three weeks I've been able to find where that connection is. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, yeah, we have been able to, to do that. Lost Creek is also another settlement that the Bonds family uh, was is highly connected to lost settlement. I have a grandmother, Mary Mary uh, Bond, who's buried in Law Creek. She was her husband was Monroe. Now her daughter Penelope uh, Scott is also buried in Lost Creek. So there's quite a few connections between these settlements. How many settlements uh, would you? say uh that you are aware of that had existed i i a beach settlement exactly where is beach i i don't remember beach settlement was close to newcastle okay newcastle uh-huh uh newcastle was was where the beach settlement was and it came it wasn't when they first went there it wasn't a, a lot of land and so uh some left beach settlement and went over to hamilton county and because they had more more land there that they could buy. Lost Creek is down near Terre Haute. And uh, I know that that's where some great aunts marry. And that's where one of the rebels uh, married um, Helen Bond from down there. So uh, I, there's quite a few. If, even if we looked at Paris, Illinois, there was a settlement there. And that's where one of that's one of my great great grandfathers moved to Paris, and he's uh, a bond and had and had family there. So these connections were all people traveled. They didn't just stay in one spot. They get in those wagons and go. So I I think that's we have to keep that in mind. But because they came to one, don't mean they stayed there. We've been able to trace. The Roberts, that came, uh, Elias Roberts, went to uh, Wisconsin, and there is a Roberts settlement in Wisconsin, and we've been able to trace so far the Roberts settlement, the, the Roberts from the Elias Roberts from Lick Creek into the settlement in Wisconsin, and they have a big festival every year. We have pictures of what the Roberts family looked like. When I first saw the picture, he looked just like my uncle James. And I, 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 I had to mention that, that he looks just like my uncle James. So I think there's lots of, there's lots of, uh, connections, lots of connections. 
and there's one in Boone County, uh, another relative out of Boone County. Some people moved to Boone County. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if we looked at this, there may have been quite a few settlements, quite a few, and but they didn't stay in any one settlement. They seem to have moved, especially around the Civil War time and afterward. Can you help me with the definition of a settlement? Um, because, you know, I, there were Blacks all through here. Bloomington had four Black communities. And I thought, okay, why were they communities and not called settlements? So can you help me, please, with the definition of a settlement? I don't have the raw, I mean, I don't have a definition according to Webster. But to me, if you're a settlement, you've got to have land, not just uh, a house or a lot, but you've got to have land, farmland and other people that are living there with you. And that's why Lick Creek grew from 1,500 acres of land because there were Black people that were all some kind of way connected, the Bonds, the Matthews, and the Roberts, and the Weavers. And there was lots of families that made up that settlement. The Mm -hmm. Scott family that later on went to Noblesville, and some of them moved up to Buxton, up to uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. There were six families that left Lick Creek and went to Buxton, Canada. And some of them in the same family didn't go to Buxton. They went to Noblesville or they went to other settlements. So there was a period of time that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to the period of time right after the Civil War. There was lots of movement of, of Black people. There was a settlement in was called North Vernon. Uh, Indiana, where my grandmother was from. And there was a settlement in Mount Vernon. And I just discovered this about three or four months ago. I got a call from Hollyoke College. Uh, a professor there called me because he was doing some research. And he had his class doing research on lynchings. And so he called to wanting to know if I was cancer, Debbie Bond. I said, well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's, that's my grandmother. He says, well, is she, was she a uh, good? I said, I think so. And he says, well, are you kin to James Good? So I don't know him. And he said, well, he was lynched yes. in 1878 in Mount Vernon. Six black men were lynched. Yes. And the young lady who brought all of this to light was a 17-year-old biracial child. And she decided that that community needed to acknowledge it and and to atone for those six black men being lynched in the town square. And in February, I contacted her and asked her to come to Indianapolis. And she came, her and her mother, and some other people came, and we all had dinner. And she talked about what that struggle was to get Mount Vernon to recognize Mm -hmm. that these six black men now... Three were hung. The other three were destroyed in other ways, horrible ways, just terrible ways. And she talked about all six of them. So I had no idea there had been a lynching in my family until that happened. Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet that lady. Yeah, I met that young girl. And uh, she even talked about the struggle of trying to get a marker up and what they had to say. What they right. could could not say. It's almost like 
um, soften, backpedal the truth? It when I she uh, the the professor at Holyoke College sent me the eighteen seventy eight newspaper accounting, and I I'll be glad to send that over to you. And that accounting was gruesome, and they even took pictures. For about a week, they wouldn't let anyone cut the, the bodies down from the ropes. It was like a, a freak show. People could come and take pictures. When they were hung that night, there was someone from the paper who took pictures of these three men hanging from these trees. But they stayed there. They were not cut down. And the families, in some cases, did not get the bodies back. The other three that were not lynched, one was put into a steam engine of a train, and he was steamed to death. Another oh one was cut up in body parts and stuffed into an old tree. The stories are, everyone needs to read that article, because then you'll understand what liberation truly is. Because they said that these three boys had actually raped a white woman. We found out with through the help of Holyoke College, they found out that's not was not the case. In one case, one of the men was a member of the Masons, and he was fighting with the Masons for civil rights. The other man, James Good, had a small had a had had, had a young family, uh, and he was trying to get his kids into school to be allowed to go to an integrated school. And they didn't want that. So his kids were home, but they were not in in school. There's lots of stories that when they tell you that men were lynched for those type reasons, in many cases, that's not the case. You have to research it and go deeper into what was occurring in that per- period of time in history, in that city, along civil rights and along the lines of education, and liberation. So I learned that just in in the last couple of months when I met this young lady and her mother, it was such a wonderful, wonderful uh, learning experience for me, and I'm age 78. So I'm telling you, this research is critical. It is critical for Black people to begin to do this research and to connect. It's a sense of freedom. It gives your mind a sense of freedom and also as to who you are. But it also lets you look back at the prob- at the, the toils and, and tribulations. And my people have been fighting for liberation since they left Africa. And they're still fighting today. And so I think all of this is, a, is very meaningful. I think Juneteenth helps us to focus on liberation. It helps us to see that it's something that we are not totally out of yet. Mm-hmm. And we won't be unless we know who we are. We won't know all these stories and be able to figure them out. So I, I don't mean to go off, off, off track, Elizabeth, but that was some of the things I had to, <laughs> so, had to throw in there. Yeah, that's okay. No, One no. question, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Clarence. I, I, I thank you so much for inviting me on your Zoom conference the other day. I'm sorry I couldn't stay for the full thing. What I'm curious about is the ownership of that, of the property now, especially the cemetery. I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, that no one owns it. 
According to the deed, I we the Bonds family paid um, a title company, Meridian Title Company, to do a search on that cemetery. And we found out that the cemetery was not sold to the forestry in 1936. As a matter of fact, in the sale papers, it talks about the cemetery was not to be sold and describes where it is and how how many miles it was or how many lots it was, but the cemetery was not sold. It's an exception in the sale papers. So we wanted to go back and say, wait a minute, if it wasn't sold in 1936, because did our ancestors own it or was it something that someone else owned? So we paid to do more. Uh, we paid uh, a young man to do further research and he went as far back as 1902. And as far back as 1902, there was a whole list of people who owned that, uh, that cemetery. But when it was sold to the U.S. government, it's an exception in the sale papers. And so nobody owns it. The forestry don't own it. The Bond family don't own it. So part of the struggle that we're having is being able to recognize that cemetery and having uh, been able to do some restoration and preservation of the grave sites. Hopefully we'll be able to work out something with Orange County uh, trustees. And our, our uh, attorney is right on top of it. He's done the research on the law on uh, uh, abandoned cemeteries. It is actually uh, the, it is actually the, the ownership of that cemetery is, is Orange County's trustee's office to take care of, of the cemetery. Even though they don't own it, they have an obligation according to state statute to take care of it. And that's true with any state, with any cemetery. Uh, but you can have it declared uh, a abandoned cemetery. And if you do that, then there's a, a totally different course of action that you can take. But right now, I think the Bond family and the uh, National Forestry, and we're hoping the Orange County Trustee's Office and uh, Controller's Office will be willing to meet with us and be able to work out how can we collaboratively uh, work as a team to recognize those ancestors who've been there for 200 years. One is a Revolutionary War soldier. Another one is a Civil War soldier. We had, we feel that there's some rights there. So that's where we are with it at this point. Okay. You know, you know, that's fascinating. Um, and I want to continue that for, for those that have just joined, bring it on. But once again, we have the pleasure of speaking with Diana Daniels, who is a representative of the Lick Creek African-American Settlement, uh, one of the early, if not one of the first uh, settlements uh, in Orange County, Indiana. Uh, she's giving a very uh, stirring history, and um, you, know, you know there is no need to apologize for that um, conversation going down one of the darker pages in our in our um, ancestry as far as lynchings and some of the gruesome details. It, it goes hand in hand with advancement. You know, that's something we all suffered, and it's something that we are uncovering, and it's just how the, the dots connect that we're that Liz and I are finding out. Liz, of course, is uh, she can do a master's class on on research and history. And <clears throat> these conversations 
helps educate our listeners. And that's why it's so important in our lead up to Juneteenth this year. Uh, one of the, uh, as far as a programming note, we intend to talk next week to Lavella Heiter of the Roberts uh, Settlement. And there is a connection uh, between the Bonds and the Roberts. And I- I'm just curious, uh, now that you've mentioned that there's a Canadian branch that <laughs> up in Buxton <laughs> County up in Canada, um, uh, we're, we're kind of going all over the globe here. Share with us a little bit about that Roberts connection. And then, if you will, talk a little bit more about what you know about the Canadian branch of your ancestors um, and what you were able to uncover. Well, the uh, the Canadian branch, we just discovered them. And I put a call in to her. I got her number from one of the forestry um, uh, members. And I put a call in to her. She called me right back and then half an hour. And she was so excited to talk to me. And I was excited to talk to her. We had something deeply, deeply in common, Lick Creek. And her grandfather or her great-great-grandfather had to leave there in the middle of the night. And she was, she is a, uh, a professor at a college there in, uh, Canada. Done quite a bit of research. Her family has built a museum there. And this museum talks about the struggles of the family, not only in Lick Creek, but also going, coming up to Buxton and the troubles that they had. They were led there by some Quakers. And in order to get them accepted in Canadian, I guess you say civilization or, or citywide or whatever, they had to make sure that all the houses were made just alike. They all were kept very clean. The yards were done. They had a structure in place of how they wanted to present themselves to the citizens of uh, Canada. And I, I didn't know this, but what she told me, the same prejudices and oppositions that were in Lick Creek were also there in, in Canada. Uh, we didn't have a chance to finish our conversation. We have, we do have a website and it's, uh, um, the website is www.rtb1.org, which is our family history. And we talked about that we needed to do a landing page for the Buxton people. So we'll be able to tie all of this has to come together. And so she and I are going to work on what that landing page looks like. And she's hoping that we'll have a chance to get up there later on this summer. With the Roberts Settlement, I've known about the Roberts Settlement all my life. I mean, I've heard of it. My grandmother, it was was a, my great, great grandmother, mother was a Roberts. And so that's how I, I knew about it. But I didn't know of any, say, um, ancestry in both families until recently. We're starting to figure out we got the same names in both families. And we don't know if these people are our um, cousins or we kind of think that that they are. So we're kind of uh, still uh, exploring that. We're still researching that. And on June 29th, they have a historian coming in for their settlement's 100th year anniversary, 100 years. And so I will be there because I, I, I need to find this out. Where are these connections here? 
So I, I, I look forward to, to that. We don't have it all on paper. I, I, one of the, I, I do have some notes from uh, another historian that sent me the names and made the uh, connections, but it has not yet been um, uh, verified. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we are. That's fascinating. Um, it seems the more that you speak, the more I hear again the um, the assistance of the Quakers and now the Forestry Service, uh, that they've been helpful in helping to connect dots. And I know they sometimes operate yes, within guidelines. And um, who else has, has been able to lend a hand to bring all this together? Well, I think the Forestry has done a great deal. I sent them a, a letter in... Um, 2021 asking them that we wanted to know more about Lick Creek and could they help us learn more. We sent them a whole concept paper of what we wanted to see happen. And they invited us to meet with them. We met with them in May 2022. There was about 30 people in that room. But they invited historians from across the state. Uh, IU, IUPUI, I think it was Butler, it was um, ISU, Indiana State. They invited the AME Church, and that's how we met. Uh, La Vella came representing the AME Church. We also had people there from, oh boy, it was all over um, the Indiana State uh, Museum, Children's Museum, all over. There were just 30 people in that room. And we did a lot of brainstorming on what it is the family wanted. We always we knew what we wanted. We had sent them that that concept paper. We want restoration and preservation, and we want it recognized. And we also wanted holograms that talks about what these people had, um, how they lived, what they went through. We wanted placards along a wall that took you back to the cemetery, describing who was there. Uh, a Revolutionary War soldier, a Civil War soldier. And so we also had contact with the state uh, DNR, which is the Department of uh, Recreation. No, DNR, National Resources. And the person we met, I went down and met with him, Noah, and he's over all the graveyards in the state. And I told him about Lick Creek, and he became very interested. So he's been helpful in helping us to understand statues. And there are laws about these graveyards, what you can and cannot do. But no one knows them all. He's a young kid out of uh, just finished IU, I think. Very uh, enthusiastic. And so between uh, Lavella, Noah, and we also hired an uh, a attorney. Uh, when I started this this whole project, my cousin Donna Ruth had written a book, I think it was Pioneer Families in Orange County. Right. Yeah. And she wrote it in 2014. I didn't have any interest in really digging any of this up until I saw on TV where the Weaver family had gotten their land back from a farmer in Marion, Indiana. And I said, well, I wonder if we could do something with Lick Creek. So I didn't know who to call. I went online and I looked, I looked for real estate attorneys and this man's name came up and I just called him on a Saturday morning and he answered his phone. And that's how we got started working with Tom Johnston, a great real estate attorney. He knows so much. He knows 
and he knows people all over down in Orange County. So he's been talking with people there and with Noah, and he's just been a great leader for us and a great avid for what we for what we actually want. So between Tom and the forestry and Noah and Lavella and uh, Elizabeth, we are just excited that we've been able to get this far mm-hmm. in only a two-year period. Well, it took us about, it took us one year, one year to get this far. And now uh, Ball State is on board and was mm-hmm. began to do, I guess you call it, they go in and they find bodies that may be under a tree or something. And they'll say, well, this is this. This thing is going off, so there must be some, some somebody buried here. And that's what we needed. We needed that graveyard cleaned up. It's been 200 years, and I want a pretty graveyard for these ancestors. I want people to be able to know who these people are, what they went through. So consequently, we, that's, we are steadfast on it. We're going to make it happen. We've been going to Mitchell, Indiana. My, that's the home of my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather for 67 years to lay flowers on the graves. And then we go to Spring Mill State Park. Uh, so we're, we're doing that again, Father's Day. And hopefully we'll be able to find out more of what the forestry is able to, to do. They have uh, restrictions about what they can do for a uh, a cemetery and the state is very clear on what what has to actually happen but orange county is a very poor county it's a out of 92 it is 92 so they don't have money to do what we're asking so our 501c3 would probably need to kick in to raise dollars to get that graveyard looking the way we we really wanted to actually look did i answer your question? You know, not only did you answer my question, <laughs> but you've given us probably five more shows to talk about here, topics for shows. Um, <laughs> I, I think you I, should I'm, bring I'm, Noah on. <laughs> well, you know that that could be another show. I'm I'm really amazed that just a simple inquiry and now the connections you're making, you're calling people up, mm-hmm. they immediately return calls, they're making connections with the universities. It's like things are falling in place to help you tell the story that so many at times you in know, our history have tried to cover. The, the first thing that we did when we got down to that cemetery in May 2022 was poor libations. And we called upon the ancestors to guide us and to lead us. And I felt such a, a strong uh, feeling came over me. They want this done. They've been laying there 200 years with no recognition. In, a, in a, a cemetery where trees and bushes are all around, but you can still find those headstones. So yeah. I think the ancestors want this done, and we're going to follow that uh, dictates and hopefully make that happen for them. Uh, Ancestry.com, how um, helpful has that been as a resource for you? Very helpful, but so has Find a Grave. Find That's a been grave. very, very helpful. I've- Mm-hmm. It's the first I've heard of that. Uh, it's You just put in the person's name and where you think they're probably buried and, and uh, it will take you right to it. And it's, um, we found it out from Bill, the guy who wrote our history book for us. 
And he told us how to go on and, and how to find people where they are buried. So that's those two have been very, very helpful. But so has the forestry. They have a whole research team that does research. And we've been I've been working with them very, very closely, and they've been extremely helpful. Down uh, they're both are from Bedford and they just do a great job, a great job. They've helped us tremendously. But prior to us starting this project, we had books that had been written about the Bond family. There was news articles in the papers down there about the family. And so we were able to take those written, and we have stories, lots of stories that have been passed down through, you know, one generation to the next one. So we have stories. So we kind of have a sense of who these people were, but we want everyone to know what they have gone through what they went through under the title of seeking peace, uh, justice, uh, liberation. They just wanted to be free and a place to worship, a place to live, to raise their families, to have farmland, fellowship, and they built a community, a community of 196 people at one point, of Black people. So I, I think that needs to be recognized across this state. And I'm hoping that the work that we're doing with so many people like um, uh, the forestry and hopefully Orange County will come on board. Uh, Tom Johnson, our he's he just jumped right in. When he found out, he's retired. He drove down to Mitchell to the first meeting and he just wants to be involved. And he's very knowledgeable. And then Noah jumped in. And so we've had a lot of support. And I think they would help someone else as as well. If the family is persistent as we are, we wrote a concept paper of what we wanted, and we haven't given it up yet. I want to jump well, I- in and say how important, uh, I, I was at Lyle Station just recently talking to Stan. Stan wants to get together a committee of descendants of all of the um, the early Black settlements. And I think that's a great idea. Uh, united, you have protections. Or we can, right. your knowledge can be passed on to someone else. I think it's right. really important because Lost Creek, they're developers that want a huge portion of the land that is still owned by Lost Creek descendants. I'm of the mindset that black folks shouldn't give up their land. Don't give up nothing. I'm a, you are. Yeah, I'm just don't on do it. Yeah. And I don't care how much money is involved. You spend the money, the land's gone, and then what do you have? So we shouldn't give up any of our stuff. And I know that laws on the books or against us. We're not at the table. We still don't run the show. But I think this is very important. So uh, uh, how do you feel about everybody getting together? All these, I don't know the Northern Black uh, communities, but there should be a way we could find out. As, yes. as you answer that question, as you answer that question, keep in mind, we are we are almost at the time where we have to sort of conclude this conversation by We'll let these remarks sort of wrap up this conversation. Okay. There is uh, I, uh, there is a website, and it's um, I think it's Indiana State Museum's website that gives you a listing of all the black of all the black settlements, 
and what county they are located and the names of people that lived in those various counties, I mean, those various settlements. I think that's, that is a starting point. Now, finding their descendants may be a little bit more difficult, but at least we'll have, we have some record already in place of who was living in those various settlements. So that may be a good thing to do. And I, I hope you're able to pull us all together so we can share ideas and begin to uh, form coalitions of working uh, together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our thanks well, to... Ahmed. Okay. Our thanks to Diana Daniels of the Lick Creek African American Settlement for joining us this evening to discuss the origins, the growth, and what the future entails for the descendants of one of the oldest African American settlements in Indiana. And Diana, um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, You have enriched us in this hour, and we look forward to another conversation. Actually, next week, we'd like to invite you to sit down with that conversation with LaBella Hyder and um, bring it on as an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Bringing On's executive producer is none other than Clarence Boone, our assistant producers, myself, Liz Mitchell, show consultant, and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Original theme music was created by Jamal Ethiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell, and thank you for tuning in. Hi, I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.